welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Vinny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I am delighted to introduce you to Anne Stankowitz of Capable Care Solutions. Anne completed her Doctorate of Occupational Therapy with a focus in geriatric practice at the University of Pittsburgh. As a part of her training, she implemented occupational therapy services into a geriatric primary care clinic, treating clients in their homes with diagnoses, including mild cognitive impairment, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and Lewy body dementia. Anne has worked as an OT in acute care hospitals, inpatient rehab, skilled nursing facilities, and home health care with adult and geriatric clients. After years of treating clients with varying levels of cognitive decline across multiple settings, Anne discovered how much she enjoyed working with this often overlooked group. In founding Capable Care Solutions, Anne sought a way to provide an individualized therapeutic service aimed at increasing activity engagement, reducing environmental barriers, and improving quality of life for both adults with dementia and their caregivers. I can't wait for you to learn more about Anne in this interview. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the show. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for having me. Uh, Well, thank you for being here. So Anne and I met virtually in a Facebook group of all places, but when I heard that she does a lot of work with caregiver burnout and training caregivers, that was very near and dear to my heart. And I wanted to make sure she was on the show for this important topic. So Anne, can you tell me a little bit about why caregiver burnout speaks to you? So I think it's something that is has been overlooked a lot in as far as when we're looking at dementia care overall. Um, you know, in working with caregivers and talking to them about their experiences, it's kind of been, you know, they, when they're, whoever their loved one is, spouse, parent is diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's, and this could be for any caregiver as well, but it's kind of, especially in the dementia care realm, they, they're kind of sat down and, you know, here's your diagnosis, here's some some resources and we'll see you in about six months for a checkup. And just anecdotally, it's caregivers are at the place where they're kind of, they don't really know where to turn. So they're trying to manage a lot of things on their own. And then they're realizing, okay, this is way more than I bargained for, or that I really thought it would be, which is going to lead inevitably to burnout if you're not putting the right support systems in place. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, these caregivers have no medical background to begin with. And they're also, you know, dealing with their lives and a sudden change in their 
family member. Exactly. That's, and that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. And it's, you know, depending on what type of place the caregiver is in, you know, a lot of them are still working either a part-time or a full-time job and trying to juggle caregiving, which in itself is a full-time job. So it's, it can get overwhelming very quickly for sure. Absolutely. And so your professional background is in occupational therapy. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yes. I'm an occupational therapist. And can you tell us what exactly an occupational therapist is? The goal of an, of an occupational therapist in working with someone is to help someone either gain or regain functional independence in their activities of daily living. So in a traditional setting, this might look like working on someone in a rehab with training them how to get dressed again get use the bathroom. It can expand to other things such as medication management, making sure someone is able to independently manage other tasks at home, the household, really anything in their daily life that has meaning to them and they need to complete. Occupational therapy works toward an individual being able to be independent or or more independent than they are in those, we call them occupations where they're really just meaningful activities to a person. So in dementia care, what would occupational therapy look like for the person with dementia? So dementia care is a little bit different as far as what the treatment plan looks like in occupational therapy. Um, It really, one, it really depends on, you know, what stage the person is in. Is there any, is there any um, sort of retaining of information or new learning able to take place. If there's not, if they're in the stage of dementia where really new learning isn't going to happen, we really look at compensatory strategies, whether that's adapting the environment to make them more successful. And a lot of it is caregiver education and training because if someone's in the stage of dementia where there's no new learning, they're, they're probably at a point where they're needing help with their daily activities. So a lot, of, a lot of that can be training the caregiver on certain compensatory strategies, certain communication techniques, ways to adapt their environment to make these activities of daily living easier, and even to, in certain ways, increase the person's independence. Can you give us maybe an example of a way you would adapt the environment? Sure. So... For example, if someone is with dementia is refusing to get in the shower, they're kind of getting agitated or just, you know, the, the caregiver is struggling with having them get in the shower. This is dependent on the person, but there may be multiple reasons why this is happening. Things to do to adapt the environment to make it a little less stressful and a little bit more inviting would be one looking at is this person do they need a shower chair can we do something where we're using a handheld shower head so the spray isn't coming right overhead and we can kind of hold it out of the way a little bit can we make the the temperature of the room itself a little warmer because oftentimes people with dementia any anything that's where temperature wise whether it's too cold is going to be really off-putting and then just other ways that we're kind of 
maintaining privacy and dignity. So can we drape them with a, a robe or a towel as we're getting them undressed? There could be various ways where we can adapt, you know, how, how we're doing the shower, what the environment is like to make it less stressful for everyone. Yeah. So it sounds like you're, you're doing a few things of figuring out what that individual person needs at the time, helping to reduce any threats or any sensations that they don't like, and really remembering that they're still a person <laughs> in there, yeah. even though, you know, they may have the dementia diagnosis. It doesn't mean that, you know, they don't deserve the dignity that the rest of right. us do. Yeah. And I mean, even in dementia, you you know, you could be in a late stage of dementia and still have, you know, you're still going to retain, you know, a lot of people are still going to retain that sense of of privacy, of wanting to, you know, they, they know that they're being exposed. So it's, it's something where, yeah, it's a human, we, you know, we want to maintain just as we would anyone, the, the amount of privacy and dignity um, as we can. Yeah. Uh, maybe that looks different if it's a spouse and, you know, the, the comfortability, comfortability level is, is there, but yeah, it's a, it's case dependent, but yeah, for sure. Any person we want to try to maintain that. That's such important, intimate work that you do with people going into their daily routines and helping make things a little bit easier for them. It is. And yeah, I mean, it's, it can be tough to try out these new methods for a caregiver, for instance. But, but then again, one of the programs I offer, I mean, it's, it's called Skills to Care, which is sort of a caregiver training program for dementia but it really focuses on not sort of me just telling them the caregiver what to do, but more so involving them in the problem-solving process so they feel like they have the ability to work through this on their own, come up with some ideas. Let's, let's try this and see if this works. Is this going to be feasible? So it's really trying to empower them for when I don't, I'm not coming anymore and inevitably other issues come mm -hmm. up on the line. Yeah. So in this program, is it aimed for caregivers who are family members or like a hired caregiver? It could be for either. I have primarily worked with family member caregivers. So mostly spouses, but obviously there's many who are caring for parents. I have not worked with any paid caregivers, but this program could feasibly be done with a paid caregiver if it's someone consistent. Okay. Usually it's best with someone where it's that it's going to be working with this person pretty consistently. So yeah, it could be either. Okay. And what are some of the guiding principles? So if it's not a prescriptive program, like not telling people exactly what to do, but what's maybe the framework behind it? So the, one of the, the key aspects is that it's sort of this personalized type of program, best done in the home, assuming the caregiver and their care partner is, are out in the community. So it's sort of tailored to what are their specific issues. We, you know, it starts out as we're, we're kind of questioning them with all these different things, but really honing in on what's giving you trouble, what are the key issues that we need to focus on and then going from there. And beyond that, 
it's really looking at, like I said, that active involvement of the caregiver. So, so not really not being just someone to tell them what to do and, and showing them, which is, is part of it, but, but really trying to empower them to, to come up with some ideas on their own and try them out on their own and just see how it goes. And then if it's not something that's working, the next session, we come back and say, okay, where are we at? Do we need to brainstorm something else? Did that, so this didn't work? Do we need to try it? Do we need to tweak it a little bit? So that would be the key aspects of it. Okay. So that makes sense because we as clinicians or professionals can come up with ideas, but really it's the person living it out day to day that may have a better sense of what might be feasible or, you know, what has the best shot of working. Right. I think that, yeah, yeah, one of, one of the key aspects is sort of, you know, once we're, we've problem solved, okay, what are the issues? What are the big problems we want to focus on here? There's sort of a brainstorming session where we're caregiver and I are throwing out ideas and, kind of taking the caregiver's lead on, is this something you are willing to try? Is this something that we can feasibly try, you know, financially? So we're taking into all these aspects, not just giving sort of a blanket recommendation, but really taking into account what is this specific situation and and what can we then sort of hone in a little bit more on what are the, the really the, the key as- things we can try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can see how even just that would help to prevent some burnout. So I think a lot of burnout can come from being told what to do and then not meeting some outside person's expectations. And then, you know, sometimes there's blame involved with the caregivers if they're not, if the patient isn't doing well and someone outside thinks it would be so simple to just do Right, you right. Know, X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there is a lot of, and this is the, one of the aspects that I really love about it is, I mean, from my perspective, there's a lot of emotional support going on for the caregiver. So, you know, even if there's, we're not, we're not able to work through exactly all the kinks of this problem and it's still reoccurring. The part of the session is we're talking about it and, and really we're getting to the core of why is this a problem? Is it because um, the caregiver's expectations are too high. Is, do we, you know, does there need to be a little bit of education on this is, this is probably something we need to work on either thinking about differently or expecting a, a little bit something different from this person based on their abilities. So yes, a lot of it, there's a lot of emotional support combined with the, the therapy itself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when do you think in the continuum of a dementia diagnosis would be the best time to start this program? I would say, I mean, it doesn't, it wouldn't hurt to do it in the early stages. Um, although at, in the, in the very early stages, if you're, if, if, if you're sort of going along and things are going okay, a lot of times caregivers can say, well, I don't really, you know, I don't really need this. I don't really think I need a lot of help right now. So we, we do, I actually do an assessment or it, it's sort of looking at their readiness to change, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So are they ready to 
sort of dive in and, and, and look at, okay, these are things that I need to really either tweak or, or change or sort of work on a little bit. So if it's the very early stages and you're really not having any big problems at home, it may not be as helpful as it could be. Um, but then again, if you're at the, you know, you're, you're at the point where things are, are really tough, of course it, it may be helpful, but I would probably say ideally a little bit before then. So when you first are starting to notice you're having some issues, some behavioral issues that are either causing problems day to day, um, maybe not even every day, but they're popping up here and there or because with dementia, it's a, it's a progressive disease. So if things are popping up a little bit, you, it would be probably best to start at least get, um, get you going on a framework where you can kind of then work through this down the line as well. Yeah. So starting when things are just a little bit beyond your skill set, Right. But not so overwhelming that you're in, you know, complete survival mode. (laughs) Right. If you're, if you're kind of in, like you said, survival mode, it can be hard to adopt even just new recommendations, even if you're on board with them, because it's, you know, you're just trying to get through the day. Although that being said, it's very, it can be very helpful at, with certain things to help, you know, if you're in survival mode, um, there's probably going to be things that, you know, we can work through that'll make you have to hopefully not have to be in survival mode 24 seven, but, but yes, it may be a little bit easier to focus on it and kind of carry it over if it's, if it's a little bit before that, that point. Okay. And what kind of time commitment is the still skills to care program? So it's, it's, it's variable. Um, it can depend on the person. I, I, ideally it would be a minimum of three sessions. Um, and it can go up to seven or eight. It's not a huge, huge time commitment. Um, usually about once a week, but it really depends on the situation. I say about a minimum of three, just because that gives us the first session is really just kind of where, what are the issues we're identifying where the problems are. And then at least one or two to kind of hone in and, and brainstorm the, the problems we identified in the, in the first session. And then at least, you know, a follow-up to see where, where are we at? Is this something that's maintained that we can maintain that's sustainable? So it's not a huge, huge commitment. It can be as few as, as three and can go up to eight or so. Okay. And is this something someone could repeat a few years later? Let's say the person with dementia has now progressed to another phase. Would it be appropriate for them to come back to you? The hope would be you may have a little bit of, okay, you've done this once, if, but the things are really getting to the point where I, okay, I need a, a little bit, a little bit of extra help here another set of eyes and recommendations, um, maybe you may not need as, as many sessions. It may just be a, a one or two um, quick sessions where it's like, here we are. Okay, this is a, a new thing that's popped up that I'm, ha- I'm struggling with. 
what can we work on here? So yes, it's it's definitely something where you can kind of come back to it as this person is progressing if if needed, for sure. Great. So you give them the skills and tools for the long term, but if something unexpected comes up, they can always come back to yeah, you. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and what are some things you do for yourself to prevent burnout? You are a caregiver, you know, professionally, so we're not immune to it. I luckily I have a toddler. Um, so yeah, apart from care, caregiving, so to speak it in the work setting, just taking time. Luckily my husband is, (laughs) is willing to, you know, cover if I, you need a little bit of time whether it's just taking time to do yoga in the evening, take a bath. I'm, I'm a bath person. So that's sort of one of the ways I wind down or using a, a support system where, where my husband and I are like, okay, we, it's time we need a, a little, a date night or something. I have, luckily my parents are close and just taking that time or say, you know, can you take, can you take Henry and, the evening and and go out and just enjoy each other's company. So little things like that, nothing groundbreaking. (laughs) Yeah. But even just asking for help is something a lot of us Mm -hmm. miss um, to have that reprieve. Yeah. It's, I mean, a lot of, for a lot of people, it's, it's hard. I, you know, especially I, and I can relate to sort of the caregiving going through the newborn phase where you're kind of, you don't, you are sort of think you're expected to do it all on your own. And really it's where asking for help is, was key. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I definitely did not hold back in in that aspect. I'm glad that I didn't. So what kinds of help did you ask for? Really just help with, um, with time. So essentially I, I guess in the caregiving world, you know, we use the term respite. So having someone to, to care for the person you're caring for while you take a break. Um, because if you, you know, if that's, you know, and sometimes it's really, it's not possible. So, but if, if so, I mean, that's, that's really key. If you can just get even a little bit here and there where you're, you really are just worrying about yourself. Yeah. It's so important. And more broadly speaking, what does health mean to you? Health to me, I guess, I mean, as an OT, I tend, we tend to look at things holistically and, and health would really be no different in that aspect. Um, so I know, I mean, initially, you know, people tend to think of health as, as physical health and obviously that's reasonable and, um, I tend to think, although I think this is changing a little bit um, in general, that considering um, mental health as as just as important, if not more important than physical health in a sense. Um, So considering that, I think it's a crucial aspect just because if your mental health is is struggling, you know, that's going to affect aspects of your physical health as well. So to me, it's really considering all the physical and mental aspects of um, of health when when we're when we're thinking about it as a general term. 
Yeah, absolutely. I definitely gravitate to a more holistic perspective as well because you really can't separate mm-hmm. the two. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's hard for sure. Yeah. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? <laughs> um, I would say try to, whatever it looks like, try to find some kind of support system. Um, if it's, if it can't be a, a physical support system, um, support groups, even online can be a source of sort of connection and community. And, and that can be sometimes maybe even all you need as far as getting through some specifically, you know, some hard days, if we're looking at caregivers specifically. Um, But really look at where can I, where can I find some kind of support system and just trying to avoid being isolated in your caregiving duties, because in the end, that is going to make everything a lot harder and no one's meant to do it alone. So it takes a village. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a message our, especially our culture and the United States needs to hear over and over and over because (laughs) we just think we should and could do it all by ourselves. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So if people want to work with you, um, do they have to live near you? Do you offer anything online? How does that work? So I, um, I am out of Based, I'm based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I do see clients locally. Um, I have done some some virtual sessions as well. Um, so I could it could be a um, technical therapy anywhere in the state of Pennsylvania. Otherwise, um, the skills to care can be done virtually as a just a consulting type service. Really anywhere if it's done virtually. So it could be it could be local. It could be anywhere if it's if the um, caregiver is open to um, a virtual meeting. Great. I know that's one of the blessings of this new world we live in is that yes, yes, borders can. get blurred and distance doesn't matter so much. Sure, we can reach more people, hopefully. Yeah. And where would you like people to find you? Um, you can, my website is uh, www.capable.care. Um, so there's no dot com. It's dot care. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Anne. This was such valuable information. And please do check out her website for more resources for caregiving. Thanks so much, Caroline. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.